Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast out of King's Hill Church in Boston where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Joining us on the podcast today is Dr. Don Whitney, Professor of Biblical Spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And today we're talking about spiritual disciplines and family worship. Enjoy. Dr. Whitney, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, you're welcome, Jonathan. Good to be with you. So you've you've written a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. We we use that as part of our discipleship cohort at our church. We love it. It's been such a blessing uh, and fruitful. But I just wanted to ask, why did you go with that title? Um, it was back in the late 70s. The, my last semester at seminary, uh, back this very late, like 1979, I first came across the term spiritual disciplines. The first time I remember coming across the term. And for the first time, thought of a lot of these individual practices that I was practicing or knew about. Uh, of course, all forms of Bible intake, hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, Um fasting, journaling, these kinds of things. It's the first time I thought of them as a group, you know, as, as each discipline is a part of a larger whole called the spiritual disciplines. So uh, since that was what the book was about, uh, that's uh, that's why I wanted to title something like that. I think NAF Press chose the, the final title. And um, so, I mean, Spiritual disciplines was was my contribution to that. They they wanted to add uh, a part about for the Christian life um, for clarity. So um, that's the main reason behind that. First Timothy four seven is the theme of the book. Uh, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's a New American <coughs> Standard uh, there. ESV has train yourself for uh, godliness, <clears throat> and uh, I, I've had some criticism in the past, discernment blogger types, about use of the term because they say it's not in the Bible. And there are people who are much far to the left uh, than, than I uh, who use that term. They say, well, you know, liberals and heretics use the term, use the term. So therefore, it's, you know, it's invalid. Well, First Timothy 4, 7, again, says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, what kind of discipline is that? It's not bodily discipline. Uh, we know that. I mean, if if that were true, bodybuilders would be the godliest people on the planet. <laughs> but more importantly, the very next verse says, for bodily discipline is of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. So if it's not bodily discipline that, that leads to godliness, what kind is it? Well, it has to be spiritual discipline. So mm -hmm. I, I would you know, argue that it is a biblical term. It's not a hill I would die on, but uh, I think it's a, a valid term to speak of those practices found in the Bible, which uh, when rightly motivated, promote uh, godliness. And um, so uh, that's why uh, I chose the title. I mean, people who write on this subject from a more liberal perspective uh, typically are Trinitarians. Uh, I'm not going to stop using the word Trinity because they do. Uh, even though that's not a you know an explicitly biblical title, it's a biblical uh, you know truth. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of the idea behind uh, the title of the book. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And in in the book, you list out several different disciplines, and I think most Christians would know you know especially when they're when they're new to following Jesus that they know to read, they know to pray, 
you mentioned quite a few other ones that maybe at at first glance or first thought they wouldn't consider a discipline but you unpacked that in 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 some really great ways would you be able to list out and you did uh quickly just a moment ago but what other what are, are those other disciplines that you talk about in the book and and why are they important well first i need to back up and give a big picture when we speak of spiritual disciplines there are personal spiritual disciplines those you practice alone and then there are interpersonal spiritual disciplines those you practice with other christians so for example uh, personal prayer is a personal spiritual discipline jesus said in the sermon on the mount when you pray go into your inner room close the door your father who sees in secret will hear you and yet on the other hand the bible teaches us to pray with the church so um, some of the practices in the bible are uh, have to be practiced alone, uh, you know, uh, solitude, uh, journaling, uh, uh, often fasting. These are things, personal prayer, personal Bible intake. Those are necessarily done alone. Others necessarily require other believers like fellowship, koinonia. Uh, you don't have fellowship with yourself. Um, the uh, practice of the Lord's Supper, we're commanded, do this in remembrance of me, but we're not to serve the Lord's Supper, you know, to ourselves and our personal devotional life that's given to the church. So we're to hear the word of God preached. Well, that requires a preacher and, and others. You don't have, you know, one preacher standing and preaching to you. Corporate worship uh, requires the presence of other people. So uh, for one thing, when we talk about any list of the disciplines, we need to mention the aspects of personal and interpersonal spiritual disciplines. The Bible teaches both Jesus practice both. Um, he's our, you know, our example of, of mm. walking with God. He's much more than our example, but he's not less than that. And so uh, uh, five times, at least in the gospels, it says Jesus got alone to meet with God. And yet Dr. Luke tells us in chapter four of his gospel, as his custom was, he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So Jesus practiced these interpersonal spiritual disciplines. He prayed with uh, worshipped with uh, uh, other uh, other people, people of God. So, uh, but our tendency, if we talk about spirituality or spiritual disciplines, uh, perhaps like you implied, Jonathan, is we immediately go or think of only to the personal spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. This is a, a, an age of spirituality, right? Everybody is spiritual today. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a survey from USA Today where a majority of atheists consider themselves spiritual people. I mean, just try to find anyone who will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not very spiritual. <laughs> Everybody is spiritual today. But whether it's in the general culture or even in the church, we tend to think only of a private spirituality. Um, you have your spirituality, your spiritual practices, they work for you. Uh, I have mine, they work for me. But we, we need to uh, realize the Bible is equally important on the interpersonal mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines. And so uh, the reason we put the title of spiritual disciplines for the Christian life in this book is because it's all about the personal spiritual disciplines. But I've written a book called Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church <clears throat> about the corporate, congregational, or interpersonal spiritual disciplines. And, and one last bit of background before I answer your question. There is no official list You've asked me to list some, and I, I'm going to do that, but but there is no official list. And one of the reasons for that is there are a lot of practices in the Bible that 
uh, I, I think it's just obedience to a command there, not the practice of a discipline. Mm. And it's a, it's a, you know, there's a, a gray area in between those. So I mentioned the practice of the Lord's Supper. Is that just obedience to a command? Or when we do that, are we practicing a, a congregational, interpersonal, spiritual discipline? I, I personally, I would argue for the latter, but it, but it's both. Um, so uh, I, I think a spiritual discipline to be on that list is something that's somewhat measurable. You know, when you start it, you know, when you stop it. I started reading my Bible at 745 this morning. I stopped at 815. I read three chapters. Uh, I memorized two verses of scripture today. Or I prayed from, from you know, 815 to, to, you know, 845. Or I went to a prayer meeting that lasted from this time to this time. Now, uh, of course, all those things can be done emptily or, or, or legalistically. But my point is, I think disciplines can be measured in, in some way, length of time or, or amount of chapters read, something like that. Whereas obedience to a command is, is something we're to be doing all the time, like love one another. I, I don't talk about a, a discipline of love, right? I mean, sometimes you do have to intentionally choose to do that, but it's not something that can really be measured, right, or timed. Uh, th that's just obedience to a command that we're to be doing all the time. So given that background, uh, in, in spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, I talk about all forms of Bible intake. And so that's hearing it read in 1 Timothy 4.13, hearing it, reading it, studying it, memorizing, meditating on it, and, and applying it. All of those are different sub-disciplines, if you will, of the overall discipline of the intake of the Word of God. Hmm. Prayer, uh, worship, private worship fasting, uh, silence and solitude. Uh, some would say those aren't disciplines. Those are just occasions to practice the other disciplines. So, oh, okay, fine. But you do have to be intentional about being alone uh, with God. Um, uh, keeping a spiritual journal, uh, godly learning. And uh, I'm, I'm forgetting a couple right now, but um, these are things that uh, we can make a biblical case for Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, very strong case, of course, for the intake of the word and prayer. Believing the gospel is organically related to prayer. Uh, you know, when we believe, the spirit is given to us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, belief is, it turns you into a praying person. The Holy Spirit, his regeneration makes you a praying person. Mm -hmm. So it's organically related to that discipline. And there are others that, that, uh, there's not nearly as strong a case like keeping a spiritual journal. Um, does the Bible command that for all Christians? Absolutely not. Uh, do you have to keep a journal to be a really godly Christian? Absolutely not. I mean, if you think over Christian history, going back to the New Testament, a large percentage of Christians would have been illiterate. Um, mm -hmm. They never had the opportunity to learn to read or write. So if it were necessary for Christians, well, it would have been impossible for a huge percentage. So, but I do think in the Psalms of David, which are in many places just just pouring out his heart on paper, the laments of Jer Jeremiah pouring out his feelings about the fall of Jerusalem on paper, uh, that, that's very sim similar to typing out a journal in a Word document or handwriting with a fountain pen, um, you, you know, your feelings to the Lord. How long, O Lord, will I cry and you will not hear? If I write that in a paper journal, that's not a lot different than David when he wrote that down, except his words were inspired. 
Um, so I think I can make a biblical case for all of these uh, that, that are found in the book. So this is a long explanation to a short list. No, it's super helpful, Dr. Whitney, especially in the age of individualism that we live in. We tend to only think of disciplines as personal, not interpersonal. And 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 yet both are are both we see in scripture for our good. So very helpful in that. In, in your book, you you talk about the relationship between discipline and freedom. And I love this relationship that you pull out. Can you can you unpack that a little bit for our listener? Yeah, I mean, other writers on the subject uh, have noted this, you know, for a long time, that discipline is really the path to freedom, that the the freedom we long for in the Christian life, discipline is a necessary uh, part of that. Uh, and and that shouldn't be surprising because it's true in everything, right? Who has the freedom to sit down and play a beautiful song on a piano? It's only those who have disciplined themselves to learn how to do that at the seminary and our students learn Greek and Hebrew and you see them walking around going through the Hebrew vocabulary cards, you know, or the Greek verb uh, endings and uh, that's discipline. But the goal is to have the freedom to open the Greek New Testament and read it. So whether it's all-star shortstops or moms who manage their households well or executive directors or podcasters or anything, uh, the, the freedom to do that well comes through discipline. Some of your uh, uh, viewers and listeners may be familiar with the 10,000-hour rule that uh, was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, popularizing an idea that from uh, a late professor uh, at Florida State. To be world-class at anything, you have to do it at least 10,000 hours. Well, the, the freedom that world-class performers or athletes have that, that make it just seem so natural, it just seems to, to flow that freedom comes through discipline. Mm -hmm. So who's free to quote the Bible? I mean, Kevin, you're free to quote the whole Bible. Here, I'll get you started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So go ahead, just finish the Bible for us. <laughs> well, you can't, I can't, because we haven't disciplined ourselves to memorize the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. The only ones who have the freedom to quote scripture, which they want, are those who have disciplined themselves to memorize. Yeah. Really, really good, Dr. Whitney. What, what do you think? What do you think the gap is between, say, conviction over spiritual disciplines? I, I know I need to do this, and then the actual practice of them. Like, what? Uh, where do you think the uh, the resistance is there? And knowing it's good, but also sometimes being delayed to actually step into them. Well, that's what the Bible calls the flesh. Uh, that part of us that, even though we're born again, even though we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, there's a part of us, and it's not the body itself god created the body but there's there's even after we're forgiven and born again there is within us this uh tendency to find sin appealing and, and temptation attractive and paul says in galatians that th that wars against the work of the holy spirit within us the spirit uh, the flesh wars against the spirit the spirit against the flesh so that we do not always do what we want to do because of the Holy Spirit, I want to memorize scripture. I, I want to fast uh, at, at times, but my flesh, uh, that that which uh, resists the work of the Holy Spirit, that's still at work within me. And that's what makes it hard. Of course, you know, that, that 
evil trinity of the world, the flesh and the devil, they're all a part of that. Uh, the world gives me things that appeal to me that make me want to do something else other than spiritual disciplines. Uh, when I uh, want to fast for the purpose of godliness, to seek an answer to prayer in a more intense way, uh, man, the media fills me with you know TV commercials and print media and other things that are about food. If you don't realize how much food ads dominate the media, just... Mm just try fasting and then uh, <laughs> you'll suddenly be aware that ads are everywhere. So the world, the flesh, the devil uh, are working against my spirit given desires to practice the disciplines. So that's the resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I think people when, you know, in talking about spiritual disciplines in some ways they, they can be intimidated to start or on the other hand, they can be discouraged sometimes if they've fallen off the horse, so to speak. It's been a while since they've actually done them. Yeah. What what encouragements would you offer here? What what are some ways back into these disciplines? Well, I mean, for starters, realize it's normal that God doesn't love us or save us because we practice the disciplines consistently. Uh, we we don't practice the spiritual disciplines in order to impress God. Uh, who we hope uh, will open the door to heaven on the basis of that. Uh, here in this um, uh, line, uh, Hebrews 12, 14 is very important. Uh, pursue our, our um, what was it, ESV say, pursue, uh, I forget, uh, strive uh, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's not the striving for holiness that impresses God and, and enables us to see the Lord. Uh, we pursue holiness by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. God is impressed only with the holiness of Jesus. But when we're born again, he gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us an affinity, an appetite for mm -hmm. holiness, for the holy things of God. I mean, there's something within us that says, Lord, Change me right now that I never sin again. I, I love holiness. I, I want to see a holy God. I want to live in a holy world. I, 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 I love the holy word of God. It used to be boring or irrelevant to me. I, I love the holy things of God. And I, so I pursue them because I'm accepted in the beloved, the Bible says, mm -hmm. because I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if, you're, if you don't do that, you won't see the Lord. Not that the pursuit qualifies you. But if you're not pursuing holiness like that, it means you don't know the Lord in the first place. That's why you won't see him. You don't know the Lord in the first place. Um, so I, one thing we want to remind our, believer, our, our viewers and listeners is that uh, this these affinities toward the things of God, the holiness, pursuing we holiness through the disciplines, that's assurance. Mm -hmm. Even our failures our mark of assurance, because you wouldn't pursue these things uh, apart from the, the regenerating power of God through the Holy Spirit. This requires me to back up one more step, though. I said the theme verse to the book is discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And it might help to kind of draw this in the air, three parts to that. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The goal is godliness, right? Christ-likeness, not just to be good at the disciplines. That was the Pharisees' problem. To be to experience God, to be like Christ, that, that's the purpose. Mm. But how do you fulfill that purpose? How do you get there? How do you pursue the holiness, godliness, without which no one will see the Lord? You discipline yourself. Mm. So 
motivated by the Holy Spirit, we practice these uh, disciplines found in the Bible so we will experience the Holy God. We will become more like Christ. So again, what, your question is about what, what do we, how do we encourage ourselves on these things? Number one, the desire for the holiness that comes through the discipline. That's that's a mark of assurance. Even when we fail, it grieves us that we fail because we see some loss there. The fact that we still want to return and, and hunger for the holiness of God through the disciplines, that's a mark of assurance. Second, uh, we're not accepted because we practice these things. We practice them because we, we are accepted. And uh, you know, the Bible tells us we're, we're going to fail. We're going to be inconsistent. We're, we're going to have dry times. And I think the, the, the perfect summary of these things is in Colossians 1.29. It's the very last verse in Colossians 1. And in the previous verse, Paul is talking about the ministry he has to make people mature in Christ. So that's what he's trying to do. <clears throat> and he says, for this... I toil, comma, I'm the one who toils at this. I, I work hard at this. You know, I, Paul was the one who went to bed tired at night, not God. But he says, for this, I toil, comma, struggling with all his power, which he mightily works within me. Hmm. So the desire and the power to practice the disciplines comes from God. Mm -hmm. But Paul had to live it out. Paul is the one who toiled. And at night when he lay down, he was tired and sore. And he said, man, that was a hard day of making people mature in Christ. Those stones hurt. Mm -hmm. Those persecutions are hard to endure. I'm going to get up and do this again tomorrow. You bet I am. Mm -hmm. well, where does that come from? All glory to God. The desire to want to do that. The power to do it despite the opposition was the work of God, but Paul had to live it out. Classic example, Jonathan, is Sunday morning. People wake up, the alarm goes off, and their first thought is, I don't feel like going today. <laughs> but what makes them overcome that inertia, mm -hmm. throw the covers off, stagger to the bathroom, and start getting ready when your neighbors don't? All glory to God. Yeah. But here's the point of that. Practicing the spiritual disciplines feels most of the time like it's all of you. Mm. God doesn't get you out of bed on Sunday morning and you just kind of float to the bathroom and you, you know <laughs> you get ready and you just float to church and it, it's hard. You have to mm. discipline yourself to do it, but you do so by faith, believing that. And there's great benefit and do that. You'll be glad you did. How many times did you not feel like going on Sunday morning? And later you think, I'm so glad I didn't stay home yeah. uh, today. So God gives you the desire and the power, but the practice of it feels like all of you. So I would encourage your readers who struggle with them sometimes to say, number one, that's normal. But second, uh, it, it should feel like all of you most of the time. <laughs> God doesn't get you up, bring you to the desk, Make your head look down at the Bible. Make your eyes go back and forth. Make your hands turn the page. Every bit of that feels like it's only you mm. most of the time. That's normal. But the fact that you keep coming back to it when your prayers aren't answered mm. day after day, <clears throat> when you're not getting a lot out of your Bible reading, the desire for that is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Oh, and one other thing. Uh 
quite often, especially in the transition from my generation to a younger generation, uh, today there's um, a lot more concern for legalism, I think. And legalism is real. The, Bob, the Bible warns of that. But for every real legalist I see today, I come across 99 antinomians. <laughs> people who say, you know, grace covers it all. We don't have to practice these disciplines. Any, you know, things with commands and discipline, that's legalism. Well, the Bible warns of legalism, but the Bible gives us lots of commands. So it must be possible to obey the commands without legalism. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I would assert that the the strictest obedience to the absolute letter of the law of God is never legalism if your motive is right. Mm. Uh, Are you married, Jonathan? I am. Well, you don't expect your wife to be faithful to you 100% of the time, do you? Uh, No, 100%. (laughs) I mean, come on, isn't that legalism? I'm going to teach you her one day a month off? No, 100%. So it's not wrong you know, to expect that the complete, you know, conformity to the, you know, the biblical, uh, you know, vows that you made to yeah. one another. That's not legalism. Now, you want her to be devoted to you out of love. Mm. But, I mean, you'll take mere duty, right? And that, and that, if that's what if that's what it is. If it doesn't feel like being faithful, you still want to be faithful. That's still better. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's not legalism to... Uh, for God to expect 100% conformity. The same God who says, you won't do that. You won't be 100% faithful. Only Jesus was. And we're accepted because of his 100% conformity, his right motivation, his keeping of the law, his practice of the disciplines. But it's not legalism to want to be 100% faithful. Right. It, it's not legalism to desire to be uh, properly related to the things of God 100% of the time. I mean, it's scary to say, you know, hey, I'm not really concerned about holiness part of the time. And it doesn't bother me that I'm not concerned. That, that's that's not a good sign. Now, again, we don't want legalism. That was a mistake of the Pharisees. But it wasn't wrong for them to regularly practice the disciplines. Jesus affirmed that. He said, you, you, you remember in condemning them, he says, you tithe of mint and dill and cumin and so forth. These things you ought to have done. <clears throat> without neglecting the weightier matters. What were they? Justice and mercy and so forth. So the mercy, the love, the fruit of the Spirit, that's the goal. But we don't get there without going through the disciplines. Yeah. Remember, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's the goal, not the practice of the disciplines. They're the means. But if mm. you really want to experience God, you want to experience and practice the fruit of the spirit we don't just passively wait back until the spirit zaps us now we're to pursue these things through the practice of the disciplines yeah that's so good even just bringing in that imagery of the fruit of the spirit thinking about what it looks like to to garden if you want to see fruit bloom and come to fruition it, it takes a lot of attention to detail a lot of discipline and watering and tending and pruning to actually see that happen yeah uh, Good, good illustration. I know, Dr. Wood, I know most of the pastors you're mentoring and most of the, in, in many congreg- you know, congregations, most of the congregate members are, are pretty busy. How would you counsel and encourage them to make 
these disciplines a, a priority and the hustle and bustle of just daily life, the daily grind. How would you encourage them to say that this is a big deal? And and if you if you're able to make this a priority, how, how would you counsel and counsel people and encourage them in that? Well, it's a big deal because of Hebrews 12, 14, pursue, strive for holiness without which no one will seek the Lord. How do we strive for pursue the holiness, godliness? You, you discipline yourself with the purpose of godliness. So the practice of the spiritual disciplines is how we pursue the holiness. And without that pursuit, the Bible says you're not a Christian. You, you won't see the Lord. So if you don't have an aptitude, an affinity, an appetite for the things of God that come through the disciplines, you're not a believer. Yeah. So, but given that, that they do not just know that they should read the Bible, know so they should pray, they want to. Yeah. Uh, only the Spirit can give that desire. But assuming that is there, uh, I mean, faithful involvement in a Christian community where these things are encouraged, uh, they're modeled for us. There's some accountability in a sense, formally and and informally. That's that's essential. There is no Christ likeness apart from uh, a local church in the New Testament. Um, so, so that's crucial, but, uh, I have always found that some sort of self accountability, mm. um, helps me do that. So, uh, boy, you know, back when I was in seminary, even I would keep a simple journal just on regular sheets of paper. And I, I had means by which I held myself accountable for certain things and, and only the Lord knew what those were. And I had just a way of reminding myself every day. You know, did you do these things? It wasn't legalism. I didn't have to do them. I wanted to do them, mm. but they were often not a part of my character, my habits. And so it was a way of reminding myself, hey, Whitney, you want to do this. Did you do this today? If you haven't, do it now because it's easy for me to forget. So people have their own systems on that, their own to-do lists digitally or otherwise. They, you know, uh, uh, one of my PhD students uh, read, um, uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and he just wrote a blog post about using uh, uh, that Atomic Habits journal mm. for accountability for spiritual disciplines. So, um, you know, whatever means that one finds, do that, whether it's, you know, reading through Bible and, and reading through the Bible and you have a, 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 a means by which you just keep an account where you're reading, you know, that just that reminder uh, goodness, today we have infinite numbers of reminders on our phones and other ways that if where there's a will, there's a way, as the old yeah. saying. So if, ask how others do these things. How is it? I mean, uh, in, in my little book, Simplify Your Spiritual Life, one of the chapters are just two pages each. It's called Read One Page a Day. And uh, I, because I had a woman in my church at the time where I was a pastor had like four kids under six who, um, and she homeschooled. That's where we worked. are, Dr. Whitney. That's where we are. Okay. <laughs> well, she wanted to, to read Christian books. Um, and I said, well, uh, you know, she said, how can I do that in my situation? I said, could you read one page a day? Mm. She thought, said, yeah, I could probably do that. Even if it's in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> even if I had to stand by the bed, I could read one page. I said, okay, commit to that. Mm. And uh, she came back six weeks later. She had read a huge book because what happens, Jonathan, when you read one page? You read multiple pages. You read multiple <laughs> because the, the problem is just showing up. Yeah. Right? Mm. But you give yourself the freedom. I don't have to read it, even a subsection. I just have to read one 
page. So the freedom of that, and the same with, with journaling. Uh, you know, one line can be an official journal. In fact, back to my PhD student and James Clear's uh, uh, journal is several parts, but the, the main part of it, there's one line for each day. One line. Mm-hmm. Anybody can write one line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you write one line, you know, often you write two or three or a paragraph. But just knowing you don't have to write a paragraph, you don't have to write a page. It's liberating for people. And they say, okay, I'll sit down and write one line. And mm-hmm. as always, it often tends to one more. But just to show people the doability, mm. many people, you know, want to read through the, the Bible and it's out of reach here, want to hold it up. But people know they should read the Bible, but frankly, in an age where people aren't readers, especially readers of books, it's I've never read a book that thick in my life, frankly. Yeah. In my whole life, I've never read one book that thick. And so that convinces them. So I can't do it now. If I've never done it before, I can't do it now, especially since I'm more busy now than ever before. But to show our people, Hey, you read 15 minutes a day. You'll read the whole Bible in a year. Mm. You read three chapters a day, five on the Lord's day. You read the whole Bible in a year, but who says you have to do it in a year? Maybe you take two years. Great. But Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right. Well, how are you going to live by every word if you've never even read yeah. every word? I listen to the Bible, uh, uh, at least some uh, on a daily basis. And that audio Bible, it's uh, 72 hours. And most of us can read faster silently than out loud. But you can hear the entire Bible read in 72 hours, which is less time than the average American spends in front of the television or on the internet <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks, Jonathan, if they would turn off the TV and the internet for two weeks, not only could they read the Bible, they could read the whole Bible. <laughs> two weeks. So we just show people the, the doability of it. Here's, here's some ways you can do that. Uh, you'll be glad you did. It's satisfying. You long for this. And everybody's overwhelmed. But let's show you how in a overwhelming, over busy world, we can do this. Remember, uh, we're not saying, hey, let's go back to the good old days. The Bible says don't do that. In Ecclesiastes, it says, do not say, why were the former days better than these? It is not from wisdom that you ask this. So God made us alive now mm-hmm. in an over-busy, overwhelming culture. And he wants us to be biblical Christians in the age in which he made us alive. So how do we do it? We've got to explore ways to do that. And conversations like this, talking with other believers in the local church, we we talk about the things of God. That's what fellowship is. So it must be possible to live the Christian life in our culture. Yeah, so good. So good. Thank you, Dr. Whitney. Switching gears ever so slightly. And uh, I do have just... Uh, a couple more questions. It's not necessarily related to family, uh, to spiritual disciplines, but it is about experiencing God's presence, which is what happens when you do practice the, the disciplines. And it's on it's on family worship. And you also wrote a book called Family Worship, and super impactful for for me and my family. You know, turning your living room into a sanctuary and experiencing God's presence. You know, as we've already talked about in the personal disciplines, but now with family worship, experiencing God as a family. But I, I know that that idea, I, honestly, I had never heard of it growing up. 
you know, the, the, that concept might be new to, to many people listening. The idea of family worship, I know it's rooted in, in history, for sure. It's been practiced through centuries. But if you could, uh, and, and I want to encourage every listener to pick up that book because it's, it's, it's so good. But if you could, what is family worship? Why is it important? And how can families pursue that together? Well, those three questions really are a book length answer, (laughs) (laughs) which is only, I think, what is it, 92 pages, 84 pages. It's a it's a small book. Uh, But family worship, I believe, is I I could demonstrate, you know, is found in Scripture. It's not commanded, but I think it's modeled all throughout the Bible going as far back as Abraham and Isaac. But it is simply three, three uh, uh, biblical parts of worship, reading the Bible, praying together. And I would argue singing together. Yeah. And uh, those are three things we are to do in worship. But um, there are some things when you remember, we talked a few minutes ago about personal spiritual disciplines and interpersonal. This this one's sort of in between. When the Bible talks about worship, and it's very revealing to actually look at what does the Bible tell us to do in worship. There are some things we can only do congregationally, the Lord's Supper, preaching. There are some things we can do privately or with others reading the Bible, praying. You can do that all alone. You can do that in a church. You can do that in a family. Mm-hmm. And same with singing. So three things the Bible tells us to do in worship. We can do them all alone. We can do them with a church or with a family. And it's reading the Bible, praying, and, and singing. And uh, so this can be done without any preparation. Uh, in as little as 10 minutes or maybe less, if you have very small uh, children, and it, it's just, I think, well, it's important because it's modeled for us in Scripture. It is a, a, a way of bringing the gospel into your own life every day as a reminder into your family's life. It orients the family around the Word of God, around Christ, and our, our families need that. The example there is to the children uh, when they see their parents, uh, because they see you at your worst, right? Uh, Let them see you at your best. Let them see that even though you act not like a Christian often throughout the day, let them see you acting. (laughs) And and often this is a time for confession of sin and and making things right in the family before Mm. go to the reading, reading, the praying, the singing. And uh, man, just almost all the values that we find in congregational worship are there in private worship. So, um, so the benefits we get on the Lord's day, we can get individually on a daily basis. We can get with the whole family uh, because uh, Jonathan, you're, you're the pastor of your family in a sense. You're the shepherd of this family. So your children need the word of God and you're the one who's responsible to bring it into your home. And I would uh, encourage this upon couples as well. I could look at a couple of texts that I think imply this. So family worship, we often think of just with couples with young children at home. It's for all couples, empty nesters, couples without children, and um, for all all families. Yeah, it's so good. If you could, because I think, you know, we we hear family worship, and and I think just the way you broke that down, it could be 10 minutes, you know, and hear the essential elements of of reading and praying. Without preparation. Some, yeah. people, some guys think, well, I got to get some kind of devotional together. I don't have time to do that. I don't know how to do that. I've never prepared. I mean, just open your Bible, pick up where you read last night, pray briefly. I'd say pray about at least one thing you read in the Bible mm. that keeps the prayers from being repetitive. as repetitive. You pray about one thing you read in the Bible and, and then sing together. And it can be just uh, 
the, the doxology. You know, I'm not saying you have to sing the you know Handel's Messiah as a family, <laughs> but just you maybe one verse of a song you all know. I would encourage people to get songbooks of some sort to help mm-hmm. them. Do yeah, I think that's so helpful, especially for kind of as you laid out that charge for for uh, the husbands to to really lead out in the family over this. I think the way you broke that down, it, it just it, uh, it tears down the wall of intimidation. Mm-hmm. This can be done, you know, any night of the week. Those basic elements that are there. If you could just anecdotally, you know, someone that's walked with Jesus for a long time, would you mind just maybe sharing how family worship has changed through the, throughout the different seasons of life that you've walked through with your kids? Oh, well, it really hasn't changed a lot. I mean, just when, you know, whether my wife and I, uh, before children and then after, uh, you know, became empty nesters. um, I mean, sometimes it's, sometimes it's just prayer, you know, uh, because of the way things go in the evening and everybody's exhausted or, you know, whatever, you don't get home until late or, you know, maybe kids <laughs> fall asleep before you even get to this point. Uh, but I mean, just like with your daily time in the Word, sometimes it's like dessert, sometimes it's like medicine. Mm. But just to to you know, it's good for you, and so you engage in it. You don't wait till you feel like it, because most days you won't. Yeah. But uh, it's just part of being mature and adult. I brush my teeth every night, floss my teeth, not because I, I like it, but I'm an adult and know that it's good for me. And I don't want the results of not doing that. So mm-hmm. I will do those things every night because I know it's good and healthy and right. And same is true with the spiritual disciplines, whether it's alone with the family, with the church family. Um, there, there is a disciplined aspect to that. That's not legalism. It's just commitment and, mm-hmm. and ordering priorities rightly and letting feelings take second place. Um, it, it's just... And God gives the motivation, and we want to do these things. Just we pray for His Spirit's help in being faithful to do them. Amen. Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for the time today talking about spiritual disciplines and family worship. Yeah, you're very welcome, gentlemen. Well, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Glad you could join us at the King's Table with Dr. Don Whitney. If you'd like more information or resources from Kingshill Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com.